Hello, and welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. The Bible can be intimidating, right? How do we make sense of it all? And what does it mean for our lives? I think the Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Let me tell you a bit about myself. In my career, I've been a Mission Start pastor, a lead pastor, a national ministry coach, and for the last decade, I've had the privilege of serving on the Time of Grace team. Today, we continue with our series called The Grand Ands of the Bible. In this series, we are taking a look at important pairs of Bible words connected with the word and. In our last episode, we dug into faith and works. For me, the big takeaway was that when it comes to faith, well, it works. Faith and works always go together. You can't have one without the other. The grand am that we're going to explore today is visible and invisible. It's a Bible thread that stitches together the natural with the supernatural. Throughout the history of our world, there have been some great civilizations spanning all the continents, except for Antarctica, of course, unless you count the century-long penguin domination. <laughs> Seriously, though, there have been many. The ancient Mesopotamian civilization, the Egyptian, Greek, and Roman. In South America, there was the Nortequico, centered in Peru. In Europe, there was the Norse. In Central America, there was the Aztec and the Mayan dynasties. In China, the very old Jiahu civilization. And in Australia, the Aboriginal, considered by some as one of the oldest civilizations in the history of planet Earth. All of these ancient civilizations had something in common. It was the way they viewed God. All of them, to one extent or another, viewed their gods as being like human beings, or animals, or other things in nature, like the sun, or the sea, or agriculture. They thought of their gods in terms of the visible world. In Egypt, there were gods like Ra, some pronounce it Ray, and Osiris, among the northern European Norse, there was the super-god Odin. Mesopotamian gods had names like Hadad and Dagon. Oh, Dagon, by the way, is mentioned multiple times in the Bible. Zeus and Apollo and Aphrodite were Greek gods. The Romans had gods that mirrored the Greek gods with names like Mercury, Venus, and Jupiter. Sounds like a solar system to me. Among the Aztecs and Mayans, there were gods whose names I can't even pronounce. Unlike the world's great civilizations, the Bible's explanation of God is much different. The God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, is invisible, without any visible characteristics. That is a significant contrast to the other gods that people have worshipped throughout history, especially in ancient times. References to visible and invisible appear throughout the Bible. There are hundreds of examples. But there is one place in the New Testament that serves as an insightful summary 
of visible and invisible. I'd like to spend some time today in the opening chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to the people living in the city of Colossae. His letter is called Colossians. Colossae, by the way, is still an existing city located in the southwest part of the country of Turkey. One of the recurring approaches in these Bible Threads episodes is looking at the context of each Bible section. That is especially true for the verses we are considering today. The church in Colossae was under attack from false teachers who claimed that believing in Jesus was not enough to be a real Christian. We don't know all the specific details, except what Paul raises as issues in his letter. In chapter 2, for example, it seems that these false teachers had been advocating for the, for the Old Testament dietary laws and observance of Old Testament festivals and holy days. The one that caught my attention was their practice of worshiping angels. They also had rules governing what you could touch or taste or handle. They promoted having a sense of false humility and harsh treatment of one's body. These false teachers taught that by doing all these extra things, one could become a real Christian or a super Christian. And in doing so, they robbed Jesus of the glory and the honor that he rightfully deserved. So in the letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul demonstrates over and over that Jesus' life, his death, and resurrection are totally sufficient because of who he is. To have a connection to the true God and to spend eternity with him does not require the keeping of certain Old Testament laws and ceremonies. It doesn't require some higher knowledge, and it doesn't require some special effort or personal sacrifice on our part. In Colossians 1, verses 15 to 17, Paul wrote that Jesus Christ enjoys a supremacy over everything, both visible and invisible. Paul took his readers back to the creation of the world. This is what he said. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So let's unpack this phrase by phrase. What is said here is critical to our understanding of all that is visible and invisible. Let's start with the Son. Well, that's the second person of the Trinity, who came to this world as Jesus, taking on a visible human form. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So here we learn that the God of the Bible is invisible, without form. However, the invisible God became visible when God's Son took on human form. The Greek word image has really two shades of meaning. The first one is that of representation. This meaning suggests that the image represented, or in other words, symbolized what the original object was. So did Jesus just represent or symbolize the invisible God? I don't think so. The second shade of meaning for the word image 
is manifestation. I know that's a big word and one that we don't use often, at least I don't. Say, did you see the manifestation of the new Subaru models on the car dealer showroom floor? We don't talk like that. Manifestation simply means on display or a visible expression. Jesus, by being the image of God, brought the invisible God into the realm of human understanding. Jesus was the visible expression of the invisible God. In the opening chapter of Hebrews, for example, the author says much the same thing. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Before we go on, let's delve a little deeper into the relationship of Jesus to God the Father. In John 14, Jesus talked about his relationship with his Father. It was actually in response to Philip, one of his 12 disciples, who asked if Jesus could just show them the Father. This is how Jesus responded. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Two major points here. First, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Think about that one. And secondly, the Father lives within Jesus and through Jesus is carrying out his work. Think about that one. If you are like me, it's sometimes challenging to get my puny brain around the relationship of the Father and the Son. And then go and throw the Holy Spirit into the conversation, my brain just can't grasp it at all. Although our God is invisible, he did choose to reveal himself occasionally in the Old Testament in a visible way. In Genesis chapter 32, we hear about Jacob wrestling with God, who appeared in human form. In Exodus 24, there's an account in which 74 elders of Israel saw God in visible form as they were having a meal together. Or in Exodus 33, Moses sees God pass by while he was tucked into a cleft of Mount Sinai. God wouldn't let Moses see his face because no one can see the face of God and live. Then there are also the encounters with the, quote, angel of the Lord. This phrase occurs 71 times in the Bible. Although in some situations, the angel of the Lord is one of God's angels. In other situations, it is God himself. One example of being God is from Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. The angel of the Lord called out from heaven for Abraham not to kill Isaac. And then he speaks a second time, revealing himself as Yahweh, as God. Okay, back to Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, the next phrase is, the firstborn over all creation. If you have ever had a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness at your door or in your living room, he or she may have pointed to this passage to prove 
that Jesus is not equal to God. I've had several such conversations over the years. JWs claim that God created Jesus first, i.e. the first created of all creation. But notice that it doesn't say first created. It says firstborn. First created and firstborn don't mean the same thing. The word firstborn has one of two shades of meaning, both of which are consistent with the theme of Colossians that Jesus is superior to everyone and everything because he is the visible image of the eternal God. One way to understand this is, is that Jesus, as firstborn, existed before all creation. The other way is that Jesus, as firstborn, was superior to all creation. The Son's eternal existence and his superiority put him in a position to be, as Paul wrote, over all creation, not part of it. The next phrase also helps explain what firstborn means. For in him all things were created. The Son of God was key to both the idea of creation and the actual creating activity. In John's Gospel, we read about the Son of God's role in creation. In the beginning was the Word. The word, word here refers to the Son of God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was in existence before the creation of the universe, and he himself created the universe. Back to Colossians. Then Paul summarizes what was created by the Son of God. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Paul lists here four aspects of creation that encompass everything. Heaven, earth, visible, invisible. Let's put these four words in a four-square box. Let's put heaven in the upper left square, earth in the upper right, visible in the lower left, and invisible in the lower right square. Got it? Then picture drawing a line from heaven in the upper left to invisible in the lower right, and then draw a line from earth to visible. With those two lines, what alphabet letter have you drawn? Obviously, the, the letter X. This is a literary technique known as a chiasmus one that is used often in the Bible for emphasis. Heaven is where the invisible exists, and earth is where the visible exists. Before we move on, there are three more thoughts about the creation of the universe. The writer to the Hebrews wrote in chapter 11, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Our visible universe was created out of what? It wasn't created out of what was visible. Our created universe was made out of what is invisible. The writer of Hebrews, in the first century, pointed out the scientific reality that everything that is visible 
is composed of invisible parts. You know, molecules and atoms. Interesting, isn't it? The second thought comes from 2 Corinthians 4. Here the Apostle Paul is looking forward to heaven while experiencing life's challenges. He says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The visible that we all experience right now is temporary. The invisible is eternal. The visible will all be gone when Christ returns on the last day. At that time, he will make new heavens and a new earth. By the way, I did a recent Grand Anne podcast on heaven and earth. You might want to check it out. The third thought comes from Romans 1. In this chapter, God addresses the fact that no one living in the visible world can say that they don't know who God is. Listen carefully to what Paul wrote. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God has revealed himself most clearly in the Bible, but he has also revealed himself through his creation. People are without excuse when it comes to knowing God. God's visible creation reveals God's invisible qualities. Since we can see the visible, we know who and what is a part of it. People, animals, plants, mountains, oceans, sun, moon, stars, and so forth. But who or what exists in the invisible? Back to Colossians 1. Paul wrote, Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. You know, I think there's another chiasmus here. There is general consensus among Bible scholars that thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities refer to entities living in the invisible realm like angels, for example. This idea is supported by what the Apostle Peter wrote. In his first letter, where he wrote that we are saved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. We know from the Bible that there are different classifications of angels. Michael, we are told, is an archangel the chief among the angels. There's a classification of angels known as seraphim. They are only mentioned twice in the Bible, both in the book of Isaiah. Another classification of angels is the cherubim. The cherubim show up more frequently in the Old Testament, 33 times to be exact. Cherubim are seen in the Bible guarding things. For example, after God expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, Two cherubim guarded the entrance to the garden. Or, on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant were two golden figures of cherubim. One other angel that is specifically mentioned by name in the Bible is Gabriel, 
who brought a message both to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and to Mary, Jesus' mother. Angels serve God by carrying out his will. They also serve us. There are a number of places in the Bible that talk about the invisible angels serving us. A well-known reference is in Psalm 91. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands. The writer to the Hebrews also wrote, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Isn't it comforting to know that those in the invisible world are watching out and caring for us in the visible world? And that is so important because of another classification of angels, the fallen ones, led by Satan. They are also known as demons or evil angels. They are in a spiritual battle for the souls of people. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, refers to this spiritual battle. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Have you ever heard the term spiritual warfare? It refers to the battle that rages on in the invisible world for the souls of people in the visible world. A battle between God and his angel armies and Satan and his evil troops. If you want to read about this spiritual war, I'd suggest you open your Bible to Revelation 12. Although written in symbolic language, it will give you a deeper insight into this ongoing war, a war that God wins and has already won. Okay, so we know who is in the invisible realm. But where does the invisible realm exist? Might I suggest that the visible world and the invisible world exist side by side with each other? The invisible world is right here among us. It's like there is another dimension that we can't see. Let me give you an example from the Bible. In Matthew chapter 18, we read about Jesus' disciples asking him a question. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus' response was to talk about children as the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus then makes a very stern warning to anyone who would try to lead a child who believes in Jesus to stumble in his or her faith. He then concludes his answer by saying, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So, Jesus pointed out that children have angels protecting them, yet they always see the face of God in heaven. Angels are finite creatures. They can't can't be in two different places at the same time. Yet they are in God's presence and our presence. At the same time, what's true with God's good angels is also true with Satan's evil angels. They have been imprisoned in hell, yet they can directly tempt us to sin. That's why Peter encourages us to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
This is another aspect of visible and invisible that is tough to wrap our brains around. One final thought. I'd like to return one more time to Colossians 1 and the discussions about creation. The next verse says, He, and it's referring to Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, the visible world in which we live is far from perfect. The dark side of the invisible world can be pretty scary when we realize who our enemy is. But this one sentence puts it all in proper perspective. Jesus holds all things together. Everything, visible and invisible, are under his authority and control. There is nothing to fear. Visible and invisible, it's one of the grand ands of the Bible. If you would like to get some additional perspective on angels and demons, we have two books available for order at Time of Grace. One is titled, Angels, because everyone loves a mystery. The other is titled, Give Satan the Credit He Is Due. Both are available in the Time of Grace online store. Go to timeofgrace.org and click on the store tab. Thanks for listening. Join me next time for another show from our Bible Thread series entitled, The Grand Ands of the Bible. God bless.